This is a 3CR podcast. And this is Published or Not. I always like a book where you learn something. And in Liesl Layton's latest, it is a whole vocabulary. Welcome back to Published or Not, Liesl. Thanks for having me, Jan. It's lovely to be here. This vocabulary includes nuts, chooks, carabiners, monte hitches and belay ropes. What are you doing if you're using these? <laughs> well, you're climbing. Specifically, you're uh, doing external climbing, as in outside climbing up cliffs and things. So, yeah, it's mount- mountain climbing. So this has made Reed Stratton very famous. What's he done? Uh, well, Reed, my um, the hero of climbing fear, he is a television star. Um, he and his best mate from school, they always like to do extreme sports and they posted videos online of themselves doing, uh, you know, extreme things. Particularly, they love to climb all of the tallest mountains in the world. And they got a television series off the back of these videos that they did and it sort of grew from there and he became very famous. Liesl, did you go and mountain climb yourself to experience this? <laughs> um, no, I didn't. Uh, I mean, I've I I love I love the mountains, and I'm I'm an avid skier, and have been to a number of uh, you know sort of very high skiing places in the world. But I've never sort of mountain climbed myself. I've done some abseiling, um, which I've, I've really enjoyed, but not the climbing so much. But my husband and my son are into rock climbing and my, my son actually does rock climbing squad. I got a lot of information from him. I, I, you know, I, had, I had internal sources. The title of your book is Climbing Fear. What's gone wrong? What's Reed fearful of? The book starts with him trying to climb a place where he has climbed a lot and he can't. And it it comes out that six months ago he was in a a deadly accident and where his best friend, uh, they were doing a climb for the television show and things went wrong and his friend died. Reed was injured, but he is finding that he just can't climb anymore, that fear overtakes him, he has panic attacks. That's one of the the meanings of the title is is the climbing fear, but there's also sort of more internalised aspects of, of the title too. Well, on the other side of the country in Perth is a childhood friend of Reed's. Natalie, she's also mm-hmm. fearful. So what's she maybe more internally fearful of? Yeah, she's had uh, a bit of a tragedy happen to her as well. Her, She was married to a man who was in the army and he got PTSD after a couple of tours overseas. He refused to get proper treatment for it and it ended up with him shooting Natalia and himself. She survived, but he did not. So she's she feels the need to start a new life again and so she returns to the place that she grew up as a child that always comforted her and that she thinks is going to be a really great place to take her daughter, Tilly. And this this place has Barb. Barb is mm. just, oh, I think everybody should have a Barb in their life. Maybe you can <laughs> Absolutely. talk a bit more about Barb. <laughs> well, Barb was actually inspired a little bit by um, a few people that I've met in my life. One of them specifically, actually, who was uh, an owner of a horse riding camp I used to go down to when uh, when I was a, a teenager. And um, there was a place called Sea Mist Palomino Stud. I actually mentioned it in the acknowledgements. 
It was owned by the Reed family and uh, Barb was the matriarch of that family. And, yeah, she was just a very special person, very warm and, and loving, but but very, you know, strict to, to all the kids that went there. Mm-hmm. My Barb is much more gregarious than, um, than you know, the, the Reed matriarch was. But, yeah, she's... Uh, so she yeah. she very much inspired that character, but it's also little bits and pieces of other people who who have been in my life as well that I just wanted to give a nod to to the you know the kind of people who are the, the backbone of certain families, um, whether those families are born or made. Well, Barb was very instrumental in both their childhoods because both of their childhoods, this is Reed and Natalie, both had complications. So Barb was kind of the linchpin there. And she gets them both back to where they spent many happy years growing up. And as you say, that was on this horse farm, this Palomino stud. Yeah, And I just think just as well researched you as you are on rock climbing, you do seem at home in the saddle describing bush rock rides <laughs> and horse care, as yeah. you do say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I did spend nearly, uh, you know, uh, at least one holiday, if not two a year when I was in my teens. And um, I started learning to ride when I was about nine and I've also been on a number of bush riding camps. So where you, you know, when I think I was 12, I went on a five-day trek with my Uncle Richard um, across from Omeo, across the High Plains, uh, camping out mm-hmm. and staying in shearers' sheds and dealing with massive spiders. And, and you know, we were riding stock horses and it was a fabulous experience. And I, I, we, I did that again with my sister and Uncle Richard um, a number of years ago and I've got a, a great fondness. For, for that sort of thing and, and the people who run those kinds of rides. Well, even in your descriptions, and this is a quote from Liesl's book, Climbing Fear, it's about feeding a horse. The foal whiffled into her hand with its soft lips. So you really have to know how to do that. And sort of, it's a beautiful yeah. phrase to describe that that whole feel whiffled yeah yeah well I, I really wanted to bring that that sense of being on the farm so that you could almost smell it and feel mm. it and yeah you, there's quite a lot of comments about the smell <laughs> with all <Yeah>. these horses <laughs> so reed has that you know been on television famous celebrity ooh value and a good knowledge but nat's skills how did barb say her skills would be used at the farm. Nat's skills actually she went to uni and she was did um, marketing and publicity. When her husband came back and he was very you know not doing well she ended up having to give up her job. So Barb has offered her a position at Colcliffe Stud as their marketing and publicity person because they're wanting to grow certain aspects of it and 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 she and her son who run it with her they just don't know how to how to do it you know Barb, Barb calls things by the wrong names. <laughs> Yeah, I love Barb's sort of, she, she knows so little about IT that she calls it Instabook, Facegram and chirping stuff. Yeah, 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 that's right. Well, look, since they grew up at Coalcliffe Palomino Stud in Walhalla, there'd only been a week when Nat had returned as a young married woman of 22 to aid her dying mother. Now, mm. this week was 10 years ago and Reed was 18 she was the yeah. woman but it's etched in both of their memories 
Well, she actually wasn't married at that time. She um, she wanted to come back to look after her dying mother, but her boyfriend wouldn't come with her, and so they they broke up. So she actually wasn't in a relationship at that time. But Reed had always been uh, in love with her growing up, and she'd ignored it, uh, you know, thinking of him more as a little brother. But when she came back, he was quite a, a mature and and strapping and attractive eighteen year old, and he managed to just change her mind. She's always looked back at that as, as a moment of, of weakness that she'd allowed her upset for what was happening to her mother and her mother dying that, uh, you know, that she allowed that, that that relationship to happen. And they had an affair for a week. And then she realized she was doing the wrong thing. And she really wanted to get back to her boyfriend. And so she just up and left and it, it broke a part of Reed when she did it. So 10 years later, the sexual tension is electric. As Barb says, if you two keep sidling around each other and not doing anything about it, I might just have to step in. You're going to set the stallions off with all that sexual tension in the air. (laughs) In a crime novel, the writers have to sort of plot clues along the way. So do you have to plot the sexual tension in in a book like this? Yeah, like, you know, when you're writing romance, you know, particularly when you're writing it, um, you know, what I term as romance plus, so romance with something else like a, you know, suspense element, so romantic suspense book, there's two major plot threads that you need to take care of and you need to make certain that you build. So you do have to think very carefully about how you're building that suspense plot, but also how you're building the, uh, the you know, the romantic tension between the, the hero and the heroine or your, your main protagonists. Mm. Look, of course, there is Nat's responsibility to her daughter Tilly and to herself. So she suggests to Reed that they're both suffering from survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. Now, why is that? You know, both of them have had a tragedy happen and I think Reed, to a certain extent, he certainly blames himself for not being more on top of of his friend's problems that he thinks his friend had, which led to the accident. And Natalie, Natalia certainly thinks that she should have done more, should have been better able to force her husband to take his medication and to, you know, do the therapy he needed to get better. And so she blames herself too for what happened. So to a certain extent, they feel like they perhaps should have been the ones that didn't survive the tragedy because they they blame themselves for their part in it. And I I thought it was interesting that, you know, they're both wise enough to seek out psychologists for their problems. And Reed's psychologist tells him that he has a superhero complex. He wants to save everything. But there's a series of mishaps that cause Mm -hmm. problems. Now, Lisa Leeton, your knowledge of horses, what would cause a very dependable horse to buck and shy and throw their riders? Oh, well, many things, particularly when you're riding through the, uh, the, the bush, you know, snakes and things like that. But, but things, uh, strange smells, things that are out of place that shouldn't be there certainly will uh, set a horse off. Dead animals will set mm-hmm. them off as well. Mm. And now comes the action from a number of areas. We know Tilly's grandparents will do anything to prove that Nat is a bad mother and get custody. 
But Reed is also being confronted by an old friend, Tucker Wells, and it's here I'd like Liesl to read from her book, Climbing Fear, from page 333. Okay. Tucker, Reed asks, coming to a stop at the sight of the other man. Nat gasped because she recognised the new arrival. It was Tucker Wells. He'd had a, com- a eating show to Reed and Luke's, although as far as she could remember, the laughing larrikin surfer, as the media had dubbed him, had been friends with Reed and Luke, talking on a kind taking on a kind of mentor role. That was until there was some kind of drug scandal and he'd been arrested in Africa or somewhere like that. The years hadn't been kind. The golden-haired, classically handsome man with the athletic physique and laughing eyes was gone. The man who stood before them was gaunt, his once handsome features hardened, an ugly edge of violence to them that had nothing to do with the thick red scar on the right-hand side of his face, running from his hairline across his milky eye and down his cheek. He held the look that Nat had become all too familiar with over the years after Andrew joined the army, a look that said he'd seen too much and done too many things that had marked his soul with darkness. Marked his soul with darkness. Yes, you have that feel that there's trouble ahead. Well, we've got rock climbing, we've got horse riding, there's burglaries, stolen guns, drugs, kidnapping, and a freely given opened-ended joyous declaration of love. This is all in Liesl Layton's Climbing Fear. Liesl, this is a mirror publication. Now, it's available on ebook as well as hard copy? Yes, it is. Yeah, they uh, print published and digitally published the book. Now, you've got quite a career in writing and past president of the Romance Writers of Australia, but I did like that little bit in your biography, and it says, when you're not writing, you help other writers make their manuscripts shine. How do you do that? (laughs) Well, I have a Lisa Layton Author Services, um, so I do um, manuscript assessment and author mentoring. So I have clients who have either completed manuscripts and need somebody to assess, um, do a structural edit of the of the manuscript. And I also have clients who are a little bit earlier in their in their writing journey and just need help with, uh, you know, the how to write a novel, basically, the, the important elements of character and conflict and, you know, structure and narrative drive and all that sort of stuff. So and, and just some good basic writing techniques as well. So I um, mentor them through that process by reading and commenting on bits of what they're writing and workshopping with them to help them further uh, the, you know, their ability to continue writing the novel and end up with a, you know, a, a product that they can submit to agents or editors or self-publish themselves. Well, I think that should take sound advice from you because you've done <laughs> a very good book here. And the book is Thank Climbing you. Fear, A Homecoming, A Rekindled Passion and Unseen Danger. Thank you very much, Liesl. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me today, Jan. And now it's David's turn. The old adage is that truth is stranger than fiction. But in reading Ian Ryan's The Spiral, truth and fiction are inextricably interwoven. So, Ian, welcome back to 3CR. Thank you, David. It's lovely to be back. Now, Irma Bridges is your protagonist. She's an academic in a cultural studies department, and she has a particular academic focus. Can you explain what that is? 
Yeah, she is a creative writing academic, but she is primarily interested in studying what she calls branching narrative, which is a narrative device most popular or visible in the Choose Your Own Adventure novels and the fighting fantasy game books from the 1980s. And her personal life within the department seems to be bordering on the unethical. Yeah, there's a few issues. At the start of the novel, Irma is called into a meeting about some sexual allegations about how she deals with some of the other postgrads that are involved in the centre where she works. But they're all relatively of the same age and consenting adults. That's true. And uh, it is set in 2004. So it's set, uh, you know, almost 20 years ago. Uh, Yeah, she's a very young academic. She's 28, even though she's quite accomplished. So it does beg a few questions, but things escalate when she is shot by one of her research assistants who has made certain claims about Irma's conduct. That's right. So this is the inciting incident of the novel, is that her research assistant, Jenny, uh, assaults Irma. Uh, Irma, during her recovery, starts to realise that she doesn't understand Jenny's motives, and thus the mystery opens up as she tries to solve the mystery of why Jenny assaulted her. Now, this is where it gets rather interesting because Irma uses her skills in qualitative research to plot out what Jenny was doing, where she had been, but it almost seems like it's obsessive behaviour. Yes, it's there's definitely some aspects to Irma's character that are, you know, that she's struggling. She, you know, she's she's been traumatized by the assault and she's going through like a rather difficult moment in her life. I mean, I think a lot of people find their late 20s to be a sort of a challenging moment. And uh, added to that, there is the hint of a much darker backstory that may be sort of flowing into how Irma conducts herself in everyday life. She's also looking for a dictaphone, a, an interview that uh, Jenny would have conducted, but this is almost like a manic obsession or it becomes so. Yeah, she's a very details-oriented character, uh, as many academics and researchers tend to be. And yeah, she gets she becomes quite fixated on the work that Jenny was doing for her, and the idea that she may be able to continue the work without Jenny. I mean, she is essentially missing parts of the work that she hired Jenny to conduct. And yeah, she she becomes fixated on this idea that if she just finds Jenny's dictaphone that has these untranscribed interviews on it that she'll be able to put her career back together. Now this is where it starts to get intriguing because the pursuit is inextricably interwoven with the choose your own adventure stories that she's actually researching. She's on a quest to find the dictaphone, characters in the choose your own adventures are also on a quest and they're almost interchangeable. Yeah, they will exist inside Irma's interior. Like uh, as she sleeps in the novel, she dreams of this character called Sero, who is presented to the reader in the, the parlay of the Choose Your Own Adventure and Fighting Fantasy novels. So uh, at the beginning of the novel, there's, there's a little bit, it's a little bit disjointed in terms of the two narratives. And apart from the fact that one of the narratives is nested inside 
one of the characters. It, it can be a little bit sort of confusing at the start, but then as the novel sort of progresses, it the, the two narratives become much more clearly entwined, I hope. You've got clues there. There's a barbarian that sort of is mentioned in one and the word appears in Irma's story. And so you you see this link occurring. But more than that, the narrative that you have in a choose-your-own-adventure is full of shadowy figures, extreme violence, the search for answers, and this is duplicated in Irma's life. That's right. I mean, that's that's very sort of uh, complimentary. <laughs> Thank you, David. It's yeah. This is sort of what I was getting at. She's trying to like dig herself out of a big hole, and she's making she has to make choices. She has to sort of you know choose forks in the road, and all of these sort of narratives that we have about how to kind of escape from a problem, and at the same time, there's sort of an almost literal articulation of this type of thinking or drama in her interior through this fantasy of the uh, of the choose your own adventure novel that she's experiencing as she sleeps. You've also got some lovely quotes. That incident is a portal. The writer pushes their character through it. The character is never supposed to have the agency to crawl back through, to go back to the intersection and reconsider her options. To do this breaks the story and the story is the reality of fiction. So can Irma go back and find things? Can she go back and alter choices she has made? Because as we find out more of Irma's story, as you say, a shady past, there's uh, things she's trying to work out that has happened in her past. Yeah, I I mean, it's quite a standard manoeuvre within noir and hard-boiled fiction for the central protagonist to have this backstory that is is pushing them through the story yeah and that, and that it gets exposed as the novel sort of progresses but yeah as i wrote it i became increasingly obsessed with the idea that she would almost sort of literally go back through that portal somehow that she would she would you know the whole novel as it becomes about this sort of branching set of choices and and paths not taken and things like this I, I got really interested in the idea that the novel in itself was like a way for her to, to to make that journey back to like look at some of her the broader arc of her life yeah that's the general gist of it general gist but another lovely line we all narrate ourselves but as you say there's a backstory and we find out more about choices Irma has made in the past but then there's also another plot device because We're on the Queensland University campus and girls start disappearing from the campus. That's right. So there is some complexity in the novel. I'll admit that. Uh, I I think as the pages, you know, at the page level, this is a very easy to sort of consume novel. And it it is written as genre fiction. So it's, I hope, quite entertaining. But yeah, there's a lot of different strands here. They, They all come together at the end, but... There is, yeah. There's also this this case of the missing girls that are uh, that Jenny may or may not have some link to. Well, Irma is in fact troubled. She almost becomes the subject of the very narrative or the nature of the genre she is studying. But to find out more, the listeners will need to go out and obtain a copy of the Spiral. 
and start at chapter one and make their choices about how they're going to proceed through. Not quite. It's a linear narrative in that regard, but there are various strands. The author is Ian Ryan, and it's from Echo Publishing. So, Ian, thank you very much for talking with me today. Thanks for having me, David. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.